0: Six. Remember, so far in this chapter, Jesus has fed five thousand, and he's walked on water, right? So he fed five thousand, and he walked on water. Now, with this, with this feeding of five thousand, walking on water, we also have geographical problems. So we're around the Sea of Galilee. Remember the Sea of Galilee? You guys know where that is, <coughs> right? So this is Israel. Yeah, you recognize it? Yeah. Feel like you've been there? Yeah. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. So when we talk about the region of Galilee, we're talking about north up here. Jerusalem is down here. So down here is Judea and Jerusalem and Bethlehem is over here, (laughs) that area. So now we're up north around the Sea of Galilee and he's, remember, he he feeds 5,000 over here and then he crosses the sea, but nobody knows how he gets there, right? Because he doesn't get in the boat when his disciples get in the boat. So they're like, how'd you get there? So remember, that's the conversation we're having at the beginning of our text. And he will will move that question into an explanation of who he is and what he's doing. Okay? Any questions from last week or any other week that you've been dying to ask? Okay, let's read the text. Let's read John chapter 6, verses 22 through 27.
1: The next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. <clears throat> Another boat from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the crowd saw that so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you (coughs) saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for, for on him God the Father has set
0: his seal. Okay, thank you very much. So, number one, we went over this last time. but just review. Why were they looking for Jesus? What's that? He fed them, and what else? Because he wasn't in the boat. Okay, so we have two things going on. One is they're totally confounded on how he got across the sea, and the other thing is he just fed them. Okay, so they are looking for Jesus. He says, because they were satisfied with the bread, but also because they're totally confounded on how did he get across the sea, right? So they are looking for him. Now, I want you to realize that that these things line up with the the two things. So so we have the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. So they're looking for him because their bodies are fed and because they can't figure out how he got there. Does that make sense? I'd be looking for Jesus for the same reason, right? Here's this guy who showed up to Bible class and it's so awesome, like this one, that you you just stay all day. You forget that you're hungry. You forget that you're thirsty. As a matter of fact, it's such an, an amazing teaching that Jesus is the one who has to say, hey, we should feed these people. Otherwise, they'll starve. Right? That's how tuned into his teaching they are. And so... They go, Wow, this is great. This is a teacher who teaches us the truth so much that we get hungry, and then when we get hungry, he feeds us. Sign me up. Right? So they're looking for Jesus. They want to follow this guy. And they're trying to figure out how he got across the water. How did he get over there? He didn't go on a boat. I don't know what's going on with this guy. Is this
1: the same feeding as the storm? On when Jesus walks on water to the boat, he sends him across. Yeah. Yeah. So they know there was a storm.
0: Well, there's a storm in the sea while after the disciples left. Yeah. Right. But that happens all the time in Seattle. It's not a big deal. Storms happen. I just
1: wondered that led to their wondering how he got there because of the storm.
0: Light. Yeah. They don't ask about the storm. They're kind of like you, get, you didn't get in the boat, <coughs> and the boat that your disciples took is the one that left. So they were, I don't know how you got there. And the people from over there said you're over there. So they went and got found him and said, "How'd you get here?" They just don't know. Okay. So number two, why should they have been looking for Jesus? To hear more of his word, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? They should have realized who he was. Yes, but what did he say? For food that leads to eternal life. Yes, for food for food to eternal life. But he really wants them to see what? Father. Signs. He wants them to see signs. You should have been looking for me because of the signs. Now, this is really weird. Very, very weird. Go to Mark. <laughs> well, let's, we'll start with Matthew. Why not? Go to Matthew chapter 16. What happens in Matthew 16? Just before you turn there, what happens? Somebody. You all know it. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16. What does Peter say? Right, you are the Christ, okay? So Matthew 16 is a great confession of Christ. Go to Matthew 16, verse
1: 4.
0: A In Matthew 16, Jesus says it's evil and wicked to ask for a sign. And I'm not going to give you any except for the sign of Jonah. Isn't that weird? Go to Mark chapter 8. What happens in Mark chapter 8? Peter says that Jesus is the Christ. Parallel to Matthew 16. Mark chapter 8, I think it's verse 12. That's a guess. Yes, it's verse twelve. Mark eight twelve. The Pharisees,
1: the Pharisees demand a sign.
0: Yes, okay? So he's decided deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given. In John chapter 6, he says, you should have been looking for me to see a sign. What's going on?
1: Signs, identify prophets?
0: signs can identify prophets. Okay. What's going on?
1: They're still looking for an earthly
0: king. They're still looking for an earthly king. What else? Long signs. Yes. What signs are they looking for? (coughs) Magical. Magical signs. What else? What kind of signs are they looking for? Earthly signs, leadership signs. Miracles. miracles. Go to First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 and 23. First Corinthians 1 22 and 23. So even Paul's against signs. Jesus is against signs in Mark and Matthew. Paul's against signs in 1 Corinthians. But Jesus is all for him in John 6. What's going on? John chapter 20. Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So John is in favor of signs. What's going on?
1: I think if you have eyes open for faith, then you're going to see those signs and it's pretty obvious. And if you won't believe, it doesn't matter.
0: You won't see the obvious signs. Yeah. But the issue is the signs. Who's demanding signs? The Jews. Who's giving signs? Jesus. You don't demand of God. You receive from God. See, in the other context, people are coming to Jesus and saying, in order to prove who you are, you have to do this. And he says, that's wicked. That's adulterous. We don't do that. But in John, he says, here's who I am, and this sign will show you. See, it's God giving us the sign. Is it okay for you to demand of God certain things? What if he asked you to demand of him certain things? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You're allowed to do that? Yeah, because he told you to. Are you allowed to demand other things of him that he didn't tell you to demand? No. Okay? So this is part of the point, is that Jesus is saying... This is the proper thing for you to be looking for because the signs that I'm doing, what do they do? They point to him as the Christ, the son of God. Now, in our sermon today, our seminarian just, you know, right out there out loud without any qualification, just said some crazy things. One thing he said is that when it says to fulfill a righteousness is to fulfill. What would you say? God's plan of salvation. What are they teaching these days at seminary? Righteousness is God's plan of salvation? Really? See, that's not what most people think. Most people think righteousness is a moral issue, it's an ethical issue. But the New Testament reveals that the righteousness of God is actually His plan to save His people. See, and so this is the same thing as Jesus is saying. What he's doing are signs to show that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, those signs, signs always point towards something. What do those signs all point to in John? What about him? Yes, they're all gonna point to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the proper sign. See, everyone's wandering around wanting Jesus to do signs to go, wow, that's impressive. Now we'll believe in you. And what does he say? Wicked and adulterous. Don't ask for that kind of sign. This is the sign that you're gonna get. Remember, hear, <laughs> hear Paul's words again in 1 Corinthians. They demand signs, they demand wisdom. Does God have wisdom? Yes. yes. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Psalm in Proverbs chapter eight is considered the wisdom of God, okay? So there's nothing wrong with wisdom, nothing wrong with signs, but the point is the sign and the wisdom that God is going to give is one that this world would never ask for and actually doesn't want. The sign and the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. Is there a connection with that? From Isaiah 7, when God says ask for a sign? Yes. Ahaz. So, Isaiah chapter 7, she knows stuff. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 goes like this God comes to Ahaz and says, Demand a sign, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz goes, No, I'm not going to give you. I don't want to ask you of that. And he goes, Seriously? Who do you think you are? When God says ask for a sign, what do you do? You ask for a sign. But Ahaz is like, oh, I'm too pious to ask for a sign. And God says, you're not pious enough. I'm sick of it. So I will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. and You shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? So what happens is that the signs that God gives us points to his work to save us. That's the sign you're looking for. You're not going to demand of God's signs. You're going to look for the ones that he gives in his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. So what signs do we have in the church? Bread and wine. Bread and wine. Water. Word. Right? Do we make those things up? We say, well, I think, I think what we ought to do is we ought to find some really yummy wafers And a little bit of wine, and that'll be our our feast. No, we don't make this stuff up. We receive it from Christ. And then we trust that it is what he says it is. Right? Yeah? If you don't, if it doesn't sound familiar, you need to go to church. Because we went over it in church today. What is baptism? It's not just plain water. It's water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And what does this baptism give? Freedom of sins, eternal life. And they say, well, well, why did you get all this? It's as Christ our Lord said, right? See, we always go back to the scriptures and say, we believe this because this is what Jesus told us to believe. This is what Jesus told us to do. Who receives the benefits of baptism? Who receives the benefits of baptism? No, not everyone who's baptized. Catechism, people, I can't make this stuff up. It's what it says. Those who believe. By grace through faith. What does Holy Spirit what does baptism give you? Holy Spirit. Who gives you faith? Holy Spirit. See how it works? It's all together. We don't separate and say this or that. We say this is how God does that. Okay? All right. Number three. We'll get to signs later. There's a whole thing on signs. Number three. Why do we work? He says, don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Why do we work? so we can bless others That's one way
1: define work
0: yeah exactly very good define work do we work okay do you physically work well physically mentally whatever do you get paid to work yes a lot of people in this room do some don't but they used to you know that's fine or they don't get paid to, but they have. They take care of things that don't get paid. That's fine. But we, we do have daily labor, right? Is that good? Does God want us to do that? Yes. yes. Okay, as a matter of fact, Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, so we're not advocating laziness. <sighs> God wants you to go to work. Guess what you're going to do in eternity? Before. Work. Guess what they did before sin into the world? Work.
1: I'll cry if I work in
0: but you'll have a labor that isn't difficult nor is it travail it's actually joyful work it is work it's real work it's work without sin you've never worked without sin isn't that fun there's going to be work that you not only enjoy it'll be perfect you'll have perfect work I'll never enjoy scrubbing toilets don't worry in heaven that won't stink (laughs) okay now as Christians, as Christians, do we work? Yes. Spiritually, do we do work? Yes. Do we do good works? Yes. yes. Do we have the option to not do good works? Are you allowed as a Christian to not do good works? Yes. Who thinks... I don't want to make you raise your hands because you all be embarrassed. Well, if
1: we want to live a life that God wants us to live,
0: then we should
1: always do that. We should. But all our, our works are, are filthy rags.
0: All our works are filthy rags. Does that mean you don't work? No. As a Christian, are you allowed to not do good works?
1: That's a fruit yep. of the faith, and if you don't do good works, then you're not showing it. You're not showing it. You're showing it. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lutherans are so messed up. Stop using the word suppose. You love God and love your neighbor. What does a Christian do? Good works. Is there another option? Does a Christian sin? No. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian does good works. Read Romans chapter 6, our epistle reading today. If you were joined to the death and resurrection of Christ, how can you live in sin any longer? You can't. You died to that. Don't do that. Do you have the option to sin today? Do you have the option to sin today? No. If we say we have no sin, then the truth is... Right, so this is, so this is the way that our life lives, right? We know the good that we are called to do in Christ. It's not an option. We don't wake up and say, well, do I want to do good works? Or do I want to-? No, that's what you're called to do in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when you fail? Repent. You repent. You confess your sins and you repent. That's good. And what does God always say? You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Okay, so it's not that our forgiveness gives us the right to not do good works or to live in sin. What happens is our baptism, our forgiveness teaches us to live in good works, right? That's the only option you have. Now, when you sin, do you go, yeah, who cares? No, you repent. You turn to God. And he will always forgive you in Christ. That's what your baptism has done for you, right? It's brought you into Christ, into his death and resurrection. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, you're going to work. I understand that. What kind of work should you be doing? The work that leads to eternal life. Now, how much work do you have to do to be saved? None. None. How much? None. None. Because Christ did it, did it all, okay? So what happens is when you say, oh no, now we got to work to please God. And he says, this is the work that pleases God to what's the work that pleases God to believe in the one that he sent. <coughs> See, this is the work that pleases God. To to believe in the one that he sent. So do you earn your salvation by doing good works? No, never. You live in them because you are saved. Because of what God has done in Christ, you learn to live according to the will of God. You don't do your good works. You don't do anything in order to get God's favor. You do it because you have received God's favor. So I said, oh, what must he do? What must he do? And he says, believe. Believe in the one that God has sent. Right? You say, well... How do I believe? How do I believe? I believe that I cannot by (coughs) own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him but the Holy Spirit. Right? So so when we say we're going to believe in Christ we receive that as a gift from God, His Holy Spirit through what? Through means. The word, which is in preached, spoken, read, however you get the word. It's also in baptism and in Lord's Supper. Okay? So this is a gift from God. That's the idea of grace. This is God's gift to you is that you believe in the one that He sent. Okay? That's the work. So you never work to earn God's favor but now that we have God's favor we live a life of doing good works. Loving God serving neighbor. Right? So the answer number three is? I don't know. What was number <laughs> three? Why do we work? Well in Christ we work to thank God for, for what he's done for us in Christ. Our lives our lives of service because of what God has done in Christ. Because He has saved us, we love God and love our neighbor. Right? Why do you work with your hands? Why do you go to work on, on Monday morning? Yes, to get paid. Yeah, and it's not easy because of Genesis 3, right? Well, yeah. But, if, but as a Christian, why do you go to work tomorrow to get paid?
1: You carry the message.
0: One, one way would be to, to carry the message, but, but on a very base level. It's because you prayed, give us this day, this day our daily bread. And you trust, you believe, that God is working through this to answer that prayer, Right? See, and you learn to live your whole life in faith. Everything you do, you learn to live it in faith because of what God has done in Christ that informs you, okay? And it actually moves you to live a faithful life. So that now when you go to work tomorrow, if you, if you do your work with, with integrity, you're serving God, right? Whatever job that is, okay? Right, work is this for the Lord and not for men, Right? Okay, number four. How do you get eternal life? You
1: don't
0: get it. You it. Mm, Okay. You receive it. How do you receive eternal life? By, by believing. I'm not going to ask you to say anything twice. Through food. Through food. Work for the food that endures through eternal life. Through food. <sighs> what food are you going to eat that ends up in eternal life? Pizza. Pizza.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: The Holy Spirit told me to, to say that. Yes, it did. <laughs> What, now, this is, this is where you've got to just... And I know we're running out of time, but, but this is a metaphor you've got to keep in your heads for the rest of the chapter. And actually for a lot of the Scripture. What food do you eat that ends up in eternal life? The Word. The Word, okay. So you have in Deuteronomy that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yep, and that's part of this. But we're going to get even more specific It's okay. Um. It'll come back. (laughs) Communion. Okay. That's pretty literal. Think metaphorically. What do you have to eat to live forever? Yeah, get out, get rid of body. Jesus. The food that endures to eternal life is Jesus. And I know this is weird but you've got to hang on for the rest of the chapter because what he's going to say is the food is actually Jesus. The thing that God feeds you to give you eternal life is Jesus. Think this through. We just did this in John chapter 4. What is the living water so that you will never thirst again? It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. Right? Right? what is the word that gives life in John chapter 5? You're searching the scriptures you can think of them have life, but these are they testify of me, okay? So the word that gives eternal life in John chapter 5, Jesus. The water that gives eternal life in John chapter 4, Jesus. In John chapter 6, the food that endures to eternal life is Jesus, okay? And what you're going to see in the entire gospel is that the thing that gives life is Jesus. And what you're going to find out, the twist at the end of the the, the story, just like in all the Gospels, the twist is the way he does this is by dying. Think this through for a second. John chapter 14, you all know it. In my Father's house are many rooms, mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? I'm want to go by the way and come back and get you or give be where I am, right? Well, where is this mansion? Okay. In Jesus It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Right? I know everybody freaks out of that. It's Jesus. Read the gospel. It's Jesus. He's the place where God dwells with men. He's actually the dwelling place of God. And this is the whole metaphor of the entire gospel is that all these things, it's actually the very person of Jesus himself. And what we will find in John chapter 6 is if you want to live forever, you have to eat his body and drink his blood. And this will freak everybody out. They will walk away. They're not going to get it at first. They're going to walk away. Okay. So num- let's read. Um, are any questions on that? Thoughts before we go? <laughs> Anybody freaking out?
1: Why are so many denominations don't take that to heart? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they did they never have communion or maybe once a year?
0: Or- <laughs> we'll get to John 6 and communion next week maybe. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so so the, the prominence of the Lord's Supper. Um, I think this is the easiest way to say it is that the lack of focus on the Lord's Supper is a new innovation in the church. Okay? The the lack of the centrality of the Lord's Supper is a brand new teaching in the church. Would you guys say that's fair to say? Just the church. Church. The church. When you read the church fathers, when you read the history of the church, when you read the big teachers of the church, the church councils. When you go all the way through. The Lord's supper was the thing. That's you gather on Sundays. You read the word. You receive the supper, and you celebrate baptisms.
1: When did that start changing?
0: When did that start changing? May you know. The Reformation. When, when people saw the Reformation as a way to leave the Catholic Church, what, what Luther and his followers did said, we don't want to leave the church. We just got to get rid of all the false teachings that have crept into the church. Others saw the Reformation as a time to say, we don't like any of that stuff. We're going to get rid of it. So what happened is some people started teaching, oh, the Lord's Supper isn't really anything. It's just a symbol. And Luther said, wrong. It is what Jesus says it is. And so some churches after that time went down this path of saying, well, it's just a symbol. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can read this historically. Most of those churches remained focused on the Lord's Supper for a time because of the history of the church. But as their theology grew and they started believing that it was just a symbol and nothing was going on here, well, then they just stopped doing it because who cares, right? Right? Now you're just doing it out of obedience to remember something. It's just a remembrance. Well, I don't forget that often. So if you do it you know, once every couple months, that's, I'll remember. Right? And that's what happens. How often do we celebrate it? How often do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Weekly. Every week. Why? We need it. Right. Gene, why do you need it? I'm a sinner. Right. So what does the Lord's Supper do for sinners? Forgives of, sinners. Forgives of sins eternal life, it's the very body and blood of Christ in with any bread and wine. It actually does what Jesus says. Right? Body, given for you. Wine, blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And we go, okay, <coughs> amen. I believe that. I believe that what Jesus said is true. So it can't ever fall out of prominence for us because we actually believe it's what Jesus says it is. Those who deny it is what Jesus says, they just stop doing it. Right? It's just kind of old, some old rite. Right? <coughs> Okay, but that's actually a new innovation in the church. The church, throughout the history of the church, said the Lord's Supper is what Jesus says it is. It's it's really that simple. Okay, so what we're going to find out as you read through the rest of John 6 is that they're going to say, well, that's nice that you say that about yourself, but we got Moses and manor. And Jesus is going to say, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. That manna stuff in the wilderness? That's about me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. (coughs) And they're going to be like, oh, great, thanks for telling us. No. (laughs) What are they going to say? Who do you think you are? (laughs) Right? And then he's going to make it worse. He's going to say, well, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. So, this, this whole chapter is getting us to see that the, the food that endures for eternal life is Christ Himself. And He will give His life as the food for the world in His death and resurrection. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank You that as You pray for daily bread, You give it to us in our Savior Jesus. For daily bread and richly you forgive us our sins and you grant to us the life that we need. We also rejoice that you provide for our daily needs of our body and soul through Mm -hmm. jobs and community and friends and family. We thank you for your provision as our heavenly father and our provider. We ask you to teach us to live lives of total service and devotion to you, that we might learn to love those in our lives as you love them, and that all that we do, we might work for the food that endures to eternal life, faith in our Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Thank you all. See ya.